Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, I feel good. I knew that. If you could see Jimbo now, he's sitting in a little bitty baby chair. <laughs> he's having to stretch to get up to the mic. Why are you so low? I don't know. I'm just as just low. I love the authority differential. I know. Looking down at me, mm-hmm. you've always intellectually and mm-hmm. spiritually looked down on me. Mm-hmm. Now you're physically doing it. It's pretty great. Because of your short stature, you don't get to look down on very many people. So uh, there I go body shaming again. Another day of body shaming. Yeah, it's, it, it, it is absolutely a second language to you. Didn't we just go over sarcasm? Today, by the way, this is Paradox. I'm Josh. I'm Jimmy. And we're going to be talking about our children today. A little broad. We're going to narrow that down a tad. I spoke on it at church on Sunday, too, a little bit, because it it has to do with one of the central themes of what I think now is recognized as the greatest book ever written about parenting, fearless parenting by somebody and me. One of the things we say about, you know, if, well, if we're going to get away from this fear-based parenting where we prevent them from sinning, basically, then we've got to replace that with preparation-based parenting. How do we prepare them to take on culture since they're going to be walking into culture? And one of those things is apologetics. It's very important to teach them how to say they're sorry, to make sure that the other person... Apologetics, teaching them how to say it. Really, you didn't even react to that. No, I'm actually not listening to you. Well, I get that, because you were looking at me with a blank stare, and I gave a zinger (laughs) that that's what apologetics was. But seriously, apologetics has been, you know, we've had two or three interviews Mm -hmm. on apologetics, and uh, it's really been a heartbeat of ours, the importance of knowing what you believe. Yes. And why? Because we are very spiritually deep and mature. That's why it's important to us. One of the things that as parents we have to do in order to prepare our kids is to get into the entire topic of apologetics, which is teaching our children how to defend their faith. Back in the day when I was in youth ministry, the the, the going kind of thinking was 70% of the kids that were active in your youth group were going to not go to church in college, but then 70% of that 70% we're going to then come back at some point in their 20s when they get married, they have a child, something. Well, what we now know is 70% of active church kids that are active in church growing up leave and never come back. The thought was they go off to college and some professor teaches them about evolution and they just dump their faith and go with secular humanism. And there was a book written called They're Already Gone where their research indicated that our church kids are gone way before they leave to go to college. They're gone by basically junior high, eighth grade, ninth grade. And one of the major reasons that they're gone 
is because they have no underpinning for what they're supposed to believe. We in the church and in our homes, we have been so good at teaching what to believe. We have taught Bible knowledge. So our kids know the, the Christmas story. They know that there were shepherds and there was a little drummer boy. And Balaam's donkey. And his smart ass. <laughs> Which... <laughs> No, See, that's a very technical. That to the is correct. outside world, you would think we would have written that joke down. You would think, but within about you know just fifteen seconds ago, random Bible story of Balaam's donkey came into my head, and you within point zero five seconds responded with the smart ass because it was a donkey that spoke. Oh yeah, that's why I referenced the story. Okay. But, so most of our children know that. There needs to be a parental advisory on this episode. Exactly. Even though that is a technical term. So we're good at teaching them Bible stories. They know the resurrection. They know, they know kind of what happened and who was involved. Our kids are pretty, we've done a really good job of teaching them Bible knowledge. What we have failed miserably to do in the church and at home is to teach our kids why we believe what we say we believe, why they should believe what they say they believe. And the interesting thing, on the surface, we all like the idea of accepting the scripture for what it is and moving on with our lives. Preach but it. when push comes to shove and we look at our prayer life that's non-existent and we look at uh, you know the time we study scripture just being once a week when we go to church, if that, when we look at our actual faith practice— the fact that we don't know why we believe what we do is pervasive in our apathy with everybody, not just our kids. Without question. We, gone are the days of being in a Christian nation, and I, and I, keep, I hope we're not you know, shocking anyone when we say we no longer live in a Christian nation. That should not be a surprise. Just turn on television, look on the internet. We don't live in a Christian nation anymore. Uh, there was a day... Except for our fearless leader, Trump. He is a devout oh, believer. Oh, he he's all over 2 Corinthians. <laughs> I've heard him expound on 2 Corinthians on more than one occasion. If he hears this episode, we might be on his Kim Jong-un list. <laughs> True. How about some world politics we're bringing in today? No. Anyway. So what we're suggesting is, as parents, I don't want to say forget the church, but in essence, forget the church. They may or they may not teach our kids why they believe what they say they believe. And here's an example, really quick, of what I mean by that. Most of you have seen um, um, Dan Brown, The Da Vinci Code. Remember that movie from several years ago? And, and the whole gist of it was the big secret of Christianity that the Vatican has held secret for 2,000 years is that Jesus did not die on the cross. He was never considered to be God. In fact, they got him down off the cross, nursed him back to health. He married Mary Magdalene that he'd been having a sexual relationship with anyway. And there they moved to Spain and their descendants became the royal line of Spain. Who doesn't know this? Exactly. And so Dan Brown's point, fabulous book, by the way, great story. 
great, great movie with Tom Hanks. Uh, but there's a lot of people who would listen to that and believe it's true. They would say, wow, no, I thought Jesus claimed to be God. Well, no, no, he didn't. In fact, no one thought he was, he would turn over in his grave if, if he thought people thought he was God. It wasn't until 200 years later when the church was trying to hang on to its wealth and its power that they concocted this story that Jesus was God incarnate, that he was the Messiah. You know how many people, how many, I mean, I had clients, mostly teenagers come in going, uh, what about this? What about, do you know how many millions of people saw that and just went, oh, I didn't know. And you just want to slap them up outside the head. Yes, because they've been going to church since nine months before they were born. And they could quote backwards uh, the Beatitudes. But why we believe a concocted story like that is stupid, we have no idea. We have no way to answer that. So often when our faith gets challenged as parents, as adults, and certainly as kids, we just vapor lock because we don't have an answer. We've spent all of our time studying the Bible just about Bible knowledge, about doctrinal knowledge. But we have nothing when it comes to why do we believe the Bible to be true. And as you mentioned, long gone are the days of the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. That just no longer exists. Wish it did, but it doesn't. In this current generation, God has called us as parents, called our kids to deepen our faith. We're told that we're supposed to prepare ourselves to give a a, a reason for the hope that's in us, uh, which is this whole idea of apologetics. And we're not, we haven't been prepared. We haven't been equipped to do that. And we're not preparing our kids. And we're not preparing our kids. And, and I think you hit it right on the head with the whole idea of deepening your faith. Because the opposite, what we're talking about, if we don't know why we believe what we believe, it is a shallow, by definition, I mean, it is a very shallow faith. Which at the end of the day, uh, kind of runs germane. I don't think that was proper. <laughs> to the idea that Bonhoeffer suggested this idea of cheap grace. Yep. Um, and when we cheapen grace, when we have a shallow faith, that just breeds apathy. And we've already said it, but I think that's the end game of all of this. We hear people, yeah, we hear people all the time. I just saw it the other day. Uh, uh, it was either on the podcast or. But this guy was saying, oh, so you, do you believe in Santa Claus too? Uh, do you believe in the Easter Bunny? Uh, because that's it's the same thing. Believing in Jesus is just like believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or Hercules. And our kids are going to hear that and go, uh, well. What? May, uh, well. And that argument that you listed is so asinine. Stupid. No. Theologian, no history no. historian, no one, no atheist, correct, that knows his stuff says Jesus didn't exist exactly. anymore because there were any just tremendous amount of historical evidence outside the Bible. There are Jewish historians, Roman historians. Do you know what that Jewish historian's name was? Josephus. Yeah. Do you know who the you. Roman historian was? Uh, Hitler. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was. Uh, I was trying to think of... Uh, Clavius Hitlorius <laughs> uh, was, was the Roman. I was trying to think of Herod. Well, he wasn't a historian. I know, but Hitler came out. <laughs> I was just trying to throw out some Roman, and Hitler came out. 
Okay. Well, they're both on Europe, the European continent. So, so it's close. Pretty close. So anyway, it's, it, it is incumbent. Who was it, though? Hmm? Who was it? I don't know. No. A Tacitus was his name, the Roman historian. So there's all sorts of reasons. And this gets back to Christianity is an intelligent faith. It's not a blind faith. If you believe that there's a fat guy in a red suit that lives in the North Pole, okay, fine. But that is a blind faith. There is no evidence that would point to that being true and that that he can deliver presents to every child on earth in one night. There's just no evidence for that. There is a buttload of evidence, an actual term of measurement, a buttload. No it's way. 26 gallons. Yes. Look it up. There's a ton of evidence that would suggest that Christianity is exactly true, that Jesus did exactly what scripture says that he did. So it's, a, it's an intelligent faith, not a blind faith. So what do we do to address this problem? Josh, go. I think that you got to first. So we're probably even hearing this dialogue that as parents, even especially as individuals, we need to deepen our faith. We need to understand why. And that begins with starting to ask questions about your faith and not just turning a blind eye to uh, doubts or issues that you might have. And so when you consider questioning your faith, more than likely within you rises some level of tension um, in, in your body, and you've got to allow that tension. It also might create tension within relationships. Um, you know, that the fact that you're, you're going to start to begin to allow your children to ask questions of doubt and questions that you might not necessarily know the answer, that's going to create tension. And you've got to start with preparing your heart and your mind and your body to allow for that tension. Tension is not a bad thing. In our office, in our counseling office, the families that have conflict, that have tension, those aren't actually the families I worry most about. I worry most about those families that don't have any issues whatsoever because they're not probably being a whole a heck of a lot authentic. Um, and so, you know, systems, family systems, faiths, they have to be perturbed. They have to be stressed. There has to be tension for it to grow. And so prepare yourself for that tension and allow for it would be the first thing. And yes. And we always talk about what are you going to do when your child comes to you with these questions? I would tell you early and often before they get to be teenagers and they start asking, start posing these questions to your children. Uh, and I just remember where I heard the thing about Santa Claus Easter Bunny. It was on Facebook. There was this little this little video cartoon clip kind of thing that had it on there. That would be the perfect thing to take your 9 or 10-year-old and just say, well, what about that? Well, you know, that guy's saying that that it's like believing in, um, well, I don't know <laughs> if we want to bring up Santa Claus or not, because a 9-year-old may still be, but I've gotten in trouble for using this example They might be before. listening to the car yes, right now. in the car right now. And we love, love Santa Claus. But you might say, how is it different? How, how is, this guy is saying that it's the same thing. Is it? How would it be different? And explore that with them before they come to you asking. So you're like broaching the subject of taking on these sort of, these more, you know, tricky questions. You know, what about, I mean, if I got a kid that's approaching junior high, you know, he's like 12 or 11 or something like that. You already know about evolution at that point. So well, what about that? Isn't that issue? I mean, you know, we learned that we, you know, we, we kind of come from 
monkeys that then came from uh, 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 amphibians, that came from fish, that came from eventually like this one cell amoeba kind of thing. What do you think? Have that. Con- yes. Don't wait for the kid to come to you. Yep. Have the conversation with them. Now. And then just tell them to Google transitional fossils. Can I drop my mic? <laughs> and walk away. I thought that was going to lead us into a trans discussion. <laughs> no. <laughs> that you were going to be trans shaming. No. That's what I thought. Uh, but with the tension and with asking the questions, I guess the second thing I'd say is um, be okay with I don't know. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, you, we have to be okay with answering our children. I don't know, but it's important to follow it up with. But we'll go and find it together. And and here and, and mom and dad, listen up. If your kid comes to you and says, "So, which which creation story do we believe, mom and dad? The one where man was created first and helped God name all the animals, or where man was the last thing created and uh, was the crowning of his God's creation? Which one of those do we believe?" And we all kind of stare at each other like a calf looks at a new gate. It's important for us to understand that our children, anyone we work with, anyone alive on the planet today is not going to come up with any question or any challenge to Christianity that has not come up a million times in the last 2,000 years. So there is no, as, as Solomon once said in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. So no matter what is asked, just because you don't have the answer to it doesn't mean there's not an answer to it. And that's one of the greatest things we can teach our kids. Just because we may get stumped by something doesn't mean that question hasn't been answered and answered to the intellectual satisfaction of some of the most brilliant people that have ever walked the earth. And it's important for our kids to know that, that I don't care what they're asked or what the challenge is, there have been Brilliant people, people with more degrees than a thermometer that have examined that question and they have come to believe that Jesus is Lord and the Bible is true. Uh, So encourage questions. Don't panic. Realize that really, really, really smart people, really smart people believe the Bible is true and that Jesus is exactly who Jesus said he was. The last thing I'd say, you know, in allowing the tension, allowing the I don't knows, asking questions, that requires time to dialogue. Come on, preach it. So it might be that you have to, as a family, schedule nothing just so that you can hang out together. Mm. It might be that you need to be able to put down the Netflix Mm. um, Last Chance You episodes that are so Mm. great. Mm. Love that show. Anyway, it might be that we have to forego some of... um, our time to be able to have these these conversations with our kids. And they're critical. And I want to leave with this one little, one little story. The one story is Dr. Gary Habermas that is, he's interviewed in Lee Strobel's book, uh, A Case for Faith. And by the way, those books are where you start, Mom and Dad, getting A Case for, K- for Faith, A Case for Christ. Those by Lee Strobel are just some of the most easily understandable books about answering these tough questions about Christianity. But Habermas was interviewed, and his, his big deal is whether the, the resurrection actually happened. That's kind of his area of expertise. And for 30 years, Dr. Habermas has, has debated everybody, all these people. You know, the, and these are academic debates at Stanford and Harvard and Oxford, and, and they're academically judged debates. So you just don't have a debate and walk away. There's a panel of academic 
people in academia. Acom- no, it's it's definitely acomagicians. Yeah, the acomagicians, uh, they judge whether th- th- who won the debate. And so he was telling us about some of these debates because I had him for a doctoral seminar. And he was saying how he'd won all these debates. And so I went up to him in the break. I said, hey, Dr. Habermas, you've told us what you did in order to win these debates. Well, what about when you lost? What, what, what points did they score? What, what were their kind of, you know, um, arguments that really were per- persuasive uh, when they won? And Habermas looked at me and he said, to my knowledge, I never lost. And I, th- I was stunned by that. And I think most people listening today would be stunned by that. Habermas debated some of the most brilliant professors in the world. And he never lost a debate on whether Jesus bodily resurrected or not. That to me is is incredible. And it refutes this idea we have that as Christians, we're on the intellectual low ground and non-believers those are the really educated people, and kind of the dumb, uneducated are the ones that believe. We are absolutely on the intellectual high ground, but we have to study to get there ourselves. Yes. So from one academician... Acomagician. From two acomagicians to you guys, thank you for listening today. It's been fun. If you want more information about this, links to some of the resources that we're suggesting, paradoxpodcast.com, go to the Episodes tab. Every uh, content episode, we have three or four extra steps that we didn't talk about in the episode that you can check out there online. Uh, So it's paradoxpodcast.com. You can also find the show as well as Jimmy and myself individually on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter there as well. Have a great day. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. And I find it fascinating that this was a concept that we were dreaming about five, six years ago. And then it literally releases the week before Charlottesville happens. And... To me, I don't think that's an accident. I think that you see the story of these guys, like I said earlier, that a friendship that transcends every boundary that typically keeps people apart. And one, the beauty of it uh, is, is, is clear to see. Two, is that we see that it's possible. And, and three, that, that it happened because of their mutual relationship with Jesus.